I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Today we continue with a series of messages on the unhurried life. The God who made us knew that we need a 24-hour break every week. So, in his grace, he instituted the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Our scripture lessons for the day come from the book of Genesis and from Mark's gospel. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. First, from Genesis 2, verses 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So, on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then from Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 23, we read, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <clears throat> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. The fourth commandment declares, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. To be quite honest, I had problems with the Sabbath day as a child. Now this is a long time ago, 70 years ago. Why did I have problems with the Sabbath? Well, for one thing, on that day, you were supposed to be antiseptically clean. And I was hard, hard for a boy. And then there were the Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. Starchy, uncomfortable, tight. And you were certainly not supposed to roll on the ground in them. Now, Papa was a preacher, and he was really strict about the Sabbath, and so there were rules. No swimming on Sundays, no card playing, no loud music, no loud games. Well, I do remember one Sunday afternoon, a bunch of my friends and I were having a raucous football game in the front yard of the Methodist Parsonage. And Papa came out and said, son... This is Sunday, the Sabbath day. 
take you and your friends and your game to the backyard. I said, Papa, isn't it Sunday in the backyard too? (laughs) He didn't answer, but he just gave me a disgusted look. I recall that Sunday school and the worship service were okay when I was a kid, although Papa tended to preach a bit long for my taste. Papa had a habit when he was just beginning to conclude his sermons, he would close that big pulpit Bible. And I was down on the front row in my assigned seat, and many of the time when I saw that Bible close, I whispered, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> all in all, for me as a young boy, Sundays were a bit stifling, uh, r- too controlled for my taste. But what I experienced as a boy was just a tiny fraction, just a small dose of what the Jews experienced in Jesus' day. The way the Jews in their society in Palestine, the way they experienced the Sabbath was so much tighter, so much more restrictive than what I experienced as a boy. The religious leaders called Pharisees absolutely ruined the fourth commandment with all their rulemaking and nitpicking. The Pharisees were a deeply religious group, but they had this compulsion of regulating everybody. I wonder if we still have some Pharisees running around America today. Originally, the fourth commandment was a merciful godsend to an oppressed workforce straining seven days a week. The Sabbath gave mankind one day a week to be released from the sweatshops. But those Pharisees, they couldn't put up with a good thing. They turned that great liberating principle into a legalistic nightmare. Not only was no work allowed by them on the Sabbath, they specified 39 categories of work that were uh, forbidden. And that included cooking a meal. They said, it is illegal for you to carry a burden on the Sabbath. And then they specified what a burden is. Anything that weighs as much as two dried figs. That's really light. On the Sabbath day there in Palestine, one was allowed to pull a donkey out of a ditch, if it was in a ditch, but not a person. Made no sense. One could not kill a mosquito because that was considered work, but you could shoo the mosquito away. Obviously, these Pharisees never encountered any South Georgia mosquitoes. I mean, you don't shoo them. You heard them. On the Sabbath day in Palestine, one was not allowed to light a fire, ride a donkey, or go fishing. What killjoys these Pharisees were. And they were always spying on folks. They were deathly afraid that somewhere, sometime, somebody was having a good time on the Sabbath day. Now, I don't want to be too hard on the Pharisees because I need to remind myself and you that we Methodists too have a rule-making tendency in our DNA. 
not particularly at the local church level, but if you get up to the annual conference level and especially the general conference level, you really see the rulemaking come out in us. For example, it might be a, have been a good thing that we Methodists were not around during Jesus' ministry. We might have given him a problem. For example, that day when Jesus, after praying all night, announced that he was appointing 12 disciples. Now, if a Methodist had been there, he'd say, wait a minute, Lord. you got to submit every one of those names to a charge conference vote. <laughs> Furthermore, half of them have to be women. And two-thirds have to come from outside Galilee. Yes, it's probably good that we Methodists were not around. We might have given Jesus a problem. In our scripture lesson for today, Jesus and the disciples are walking through a grain field. They were being spied on by the Pharisees, monitoring, seeing if they were doing anything wrong, hoping they were doing something wrong that the Pharisees could criticize them for. For example, they may have been monitoring them to see if they walked more than three-fourths of a mile. That was forbidden on the Sabbath. Now, the disciples were a bit hungry that day, and so as they walked through this grain field, they plucked some heads of grain, rolled them in their hands, and ate the seeds. I've done something similar many a time when I was out quail hunting, walking through a soybean field. Ah, but the Pharisees saw what the disciples had done. And so they pounced on them and accused them of harvesting on the Sabbath day, which was forbidden. And Jesus was rather shrewd in his response to the accusation. Jesus reminded them of something King David had done centuries earlier. How King David had broken a Jewish law uh, when he and his hungry soldiers ate the bread that was forbidden for anybody except the priest to eat. Why did they do it? Because they were hungry. They needed it. Jesus reminded the Pharisees of that, and he was really shrewd because the Pharisees found it very hard to criticize anything that their great hero, David, had done. You see, Jesus rebelled against this ridiculous legalism of the Pharisees. He declared, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus went back to the original purpose of the fourth commandment. It was intended to make the Sabbath day a weekly reprieve from the grueling strains of labor. On that day, people could get in tune with their God and be renewed in body, mind, and spirit. The Sabbath was to be both a holy day and a holiday. Well, since then, across the centuries... The pendulum has swung back and forth concerning Sabbath observance. It has swung between extreme strictness and utter disregard. Seldom has America needed the Sabbath more than today. Why? Because of COVID, we have fewer employees serving in our companies, able to serve all the demands of our people, and the ones who are not sick, the ones who are able to work, tend to be overworked. Recently in the newspaper, I read about such an overworked person in Glen Lynn, Virginia. This is an emergency room nurse who has been working 12-hour shifts. And she said that after 12 solid hours 
serving patient after patient. Sometimes she would be so tired that she would sit on a curb in the hospital parking lot and weep. And then she would drive 45 minutes to her house, sleep a few hours, and then begin her second job, which was uploading medical data onto the computer. And then the following day, she's back to the hospital for another 12-hour shift. And she said, it just feels like there's no life left in you when you walk into that building. One recent survey showed that, 20, that two-thirds of critical care nurses say that the pandemic has caused them to consider leaving their profession. And just imagine if that survey were run among police officers, what we would find. I have found over the years that a person can handle an enormous workload if they can get a 24-hour break once a week. Surely God knew that when he instituted the fourth commandment. And I have observed the cost of continually skipping the Sabbath day. When you do it, slowly but surely, that monkey creeps up your back and hurts you. And I must confess that the monkey has crept up my back more than once. Well, should we Christians try to make Sunday mandatory for everybody, passing blue laws? I don't think so. The Sabbath is a religious custom, and I don't believe in making religious customs mandatory. But one might ask, well, if we allow one business to be open on Sunday, won't that force all their competitors to be open on Sunday? Not necessarily. Seems to me Chick-fil-A is doing a pretty good job just six days a week. And if a business loses a few dollars by being closed on Sunday, the owners can just identify with the Christians across the centuries who've had to make some sacrifices for their discipleship. Of course, in America today, it is unrealistic for all places of business to be closed on Sunday. I mean, lots of people have to work. Let's just start with hospitals and senior care institutions and the wonderful people who serve there. They got to work on Sundays. And then there are others who have to work on Sunday. Firefighters and police, some druggists, some doctors, TV and radio personnel, armed forces and preachers. And in this age of high-tech industry, it's unrealistic to say you got to shut down all the industry one day a week. you got to keep at least a skeleton crew there. And it's wonderful that churches like Mount Horeb offer ministries to those Sunday workers by midweek worship and Bible study groups so that those who do have to work on Sunday can find a Sabbath experience during the week. Restaurant employees serve a useful Sunday function. They work so that most of us don't have to cook. And then the professional athletes work and play so that most of us can stay home and be entertained. My parents had few disagreements that I remember when I was growing up, but one had to do with the Sabbath. As I said, Papa was strict about the Sabbath. He didn't believe that you should do anything that caused somebody else to be employed. 
Mama disagreed. Mama explained it to him this way. She said, look, I get up early on Sunday mornings. I cook breakfast with this crew. I make sure that the three kids are dressed, ready to go to Sunday school and church. I teach Sunday school. I play the piano in any class that needs me. And after doing all that, I'm not coming home and labor over a hot stove. Why is it holier for me to cook a meal than for that cook at the restaurant to do it? Papa was a wise man, and he knew when to surrender. <laughs> we went to the restaurant. For us Christians, Sunday should be really, really special. We should celebrate a day that is so delightful, so renewing, so satisfying that it attracts people. It should be a day when we make special contact with God, when we renew our souls and bodies and minds, and when we do some delightful things that we wouldn't have time to do during the regular work week. Sunday should be a day for getting in tune with what Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. So I want to suggest four specific ways that we might properly spend our Sabbath days. First, Sunday ought to be a festival of faith. You know, Christians changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Why? Because Sunday was Resurrection Day, the day Jesus arose from the grave. And when you think about it, every Sunday ought to be a, a little Easter when we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. One of the hymns that I love so much expresses this great truth. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. Every Sunday when we worship here, there is power in this room. You know it, don't you? You feel it, and I certainly do. The power here is not the preacher. The power is not the musicians. The power is the Spirit of the Lord. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus is literally present here through the Holy Spirit. Connecting God's word with every single heart, whether in person or online. Brothers and sisters, this is holy ground. We almost ought to have to take off our shoes because we are on holy ground where the Holy Spirit touches every receptive heart, zeroing in on his or her specific point of need but worship glorious as it is is just part of a festival of faith every Sunday uh, it also should include a study learning experience such as Sunday school offers and another wonderful thing about Sunday school and small groups is they enable us to feel the Christian fellowship that's a part of the Sabbath blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love Occasionally, somebody tells me that they can worship God just as well in their boat 
or on the golf course as they can in church. Now, I'll admit to you that on the golf course, God's name gets invoked quite a bit. But seldom is it a call to worship. People ask me sometimes if one can be a Christian without going to church. I usually say, well, I guess it's possible, but it's sort of like being married to somebody without living with them. Yeah, you could do it, but it wouldn't be very satisfying. The Bible says the church is the body of Christ. Think about that now. The church, warts and all. And you know our fault. And if there's ever a perfect church, you and I couldn't belong. The church, with all its warts and imperfections, is the body of Christ. The Bible says that. Now, I ask you, would it make sense to say, I love Jesus Christ, but I just can't stand his body? No. The first priority of Sunday ought to be faithful church participation. Here's the second way to observe the Sabbath. It ought to be a day for renewal activities. And a renewal activity is whatever you need to be refreshed. And given the fact that most of us probably spend much of our time indoors during the week, maybe it would be mighty refreshing to be outdoors uh, on many Sabbaths. And no activity need be off limits on the Sabbath as long as it does not disturb other people. Uh, any activity, whether it be hiking or fishing or tennis or golf or painting or bird watching. Wives should note that Sundays are not good days for assigning chores to husbands. That's what Saturdays are for. Now, is that truth in the Bible? If so, it's in the first book of Calamities. But I know it's almost Bible. Now, some Christians will find Sunday uh, perfect for a nap, Sunday afternoon. And maybe it ought to be illegal to text or phone somebody between 2 and 5 p.m. on Sunday afternoons. Because you might disturb somebody's nap or cause them to miss a touchdown pass. Sunday ought to be the day when you do what is renewing and delightful for you. That brings me to the third proper usage of the Sabbath. Sunday ought to be a family day. And during a typical week, you know, family members go in all different directions. And in the evenings, children have homework and parents are often finishing up something from the work day or planning the schedule for the next day. Indeed, in modern families, shared meals are fast becoming rare events. And it's ironical that our cell phones, which were supposed to help us communicate better with each other, often they turn out to actually isolate us in our separate silos. Given this situation, Sunday can be a godsend for families. In addition to worshiping together, sharing a meal together, uh, the family can have some activity as a family. And yes, children ought to have a hand in saying what that ought to be. It could be anything from backyard basketball to baking a cake to having a picnic to spending the afternoon at the lake. Do something as a family. 
And that brings me to the fourth and the final proper usage of the Sabbath. Sunday ought to leave room for an act of kindness. Remember, Jesus got in trouble with the Pharisees because of an act of kindness he did. He healed a man's shriveled hand and got criticized because he did it. Surely on a Sabbath, we can think of somebody, somebody who's hurting, somebody who's lonely, and we can reach out with a word of encouragement. Now, yes, during this time of COVID, our visitation opportunities are very limited. But we can certainly text or phone, not on Sunday afternoons now, and a friendly email or card can be opened whenever the recipient finds it convenient. So, Sunday ought to be the most delightful day of the week, a refreshing oasis along a busy, pressured, demanding pathway of life. Back in the days when the National Broadcasting Company sponsored Sunday afternoon radio concerts, NBC received a letter from an old shepherd in the hills of Idaho. And this is what he wrote. I enjoy listening to your Sunday afternoon music on the radio. Life up here in the hills is very lonely. I don't have a TV. My radio and my dog and my sheep are all the company I have. I used to play an old violin, but now it's badly out of tune. I wonder if you would be so kind as to begin your next Sunday afternoon music program by playing the note A so I can tune my old violin. Well, at first the radio management laughed at this odd request, but one executive with NBC saw the human interest element in it. So, on the next Sunday afternoon, the nationwide radio broadcast began by reading the letter from the old shepherd. And then, over the radio, came the clear, strong note of A, by which a violin somewhere in the hills of Idaho was put in tune again. Sunday should be the day of the week when we get in tune again, when we turn our antenna toward the eternal, when we catch anew the melody of God's Spirit. How gracious of the Heavenly Father to set aside one day a week to restore us in body, mind, and spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy Father, we confess that at times we have allowed the world to set the pace for us. We've replaced the abundant life with the rat race. Lord Jesus, stop us in our tracks. Send your Holy Spirit to be our new pace setter, teaching us to march to the beat of a divine drummer. Remind us to cherish that 24-hour break each week when we can get in tune with the eternal. Show us how to take a deep spiritual breath, inhaling that peace 
that passes all understanding. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now let us stand and sing God's praises. <laughs>